0: Welcome to you, all of you in the cafe. God bless you guys. It's the first Sunday of a new year in the cafe. God bless you. We hope that uh, this Sunday and every Sunday is a rich worship experience for you all. We love you so much. Uh, Everybody open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If you are joining us by way of audio or video podcast, uh, welcome to you also. Uh, We are beginning a new message series today entitled Love Thy Neighbor. Love Thy Neighbor. Sounds easy, doesn't it? And actually, it is simple, but, but not necessarily easy at all. Um, Mark chapter 2. This past week, an amazing thing kind of unfolded uh, in the whole YouTube universe. I know some of you aren't plugged into that. Some of you are. But there is a young YouTube star named Logan Paul. He's a teenager. He's quite a following. And again, it's kind of the day and age we live in when a kid who's 19 can literally become famous. He has something like 15, 16 million followers on YouTube. And all that he does is sort of produce a a daily or every other day or so a a, a vlog, a video blog, kind kind of like a video diary. He just sort of posts little snippets, little episodes of his life every single day. He's kind of funny, kind of irreverent, kind of goofy. And, uh, and again, he's, he's accumulated something like 16, 15, 16 million followers. This past week, well, actually it was a week ago today, last Sunday, he was uh, recording a, an episode of his vlog, and he was in Japan, Mount Fuji. Um, he went to a place that the Japanese call the suicide forest. I don't know if any of you saw or know about this story. Um, he went to a place called the suicide forest, which apparently is a, a place where uh, the Japanese in that, in that area uh, Often go to commit uh, or attempt suicide. Hundreds and hundreds of people every single year uh, attempt or commit suicide in those trees in that forest. It's it's devastating and sad. Now you have to ask if Logan Paul went to the suicide forest to record an episode of his of his comedy vlog. What in the world did he think he was gonna? come across. But anyway, within just about a hundred yards or so into the trees, he encountered a a, a man hanging. A, a man had hung himself. There was a, a dead body hanging from a tree. Now, I, I don't know what, what your instinct would be, but Logan Paul's instinct was just to zoom the camera in. And he, he zoomed the camera in and he, and he said something like, wow, this has got to be a first on the internet. I mean, I mean, all he can think about is how how this is going to be on his on his YouTube channel, how this is going to be great for his vlog you know and, and he said, "I have to admit this is a first for me and he 's got this green floppy goofy hat on and, and and he and he continued to film this 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 dead man, a man who had just committed suicide hanging there and he he filmed that, and he made jokes, and he looked at the camera and talked to his followers and and, and, and then he could hardly wait to post that to the internet, which is what he did. He posted that within just hours. I think something like 6.9 million people looked at that. I mean, like millions of people watched that video, and then people went into an uproar. I mean, it, it was sort of crossing a line, and he was forced to apologi- apologize this week, which he did. He was forced to pull the video down, which of course he did. But 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 still. It, it, it just raises the question of what, what, is, what is missing in, in a young man's heart? What is empty inside of him that would make him see that man hanging there in the tree and all he can think about is his YouTube channel? What, what is missing in his heart? Honestly, what is missing in the heart of Logan Paul is the very same thing missing in nearly all of our hearts. It's just love. Most of us just don't have love in our hearts. And if we have it, we don't have enough of it. It's, it's, it's love. There's this love, a, a basic... Absence of love in in the lives of most people. Now, I know I'm talking to church people. I know you're Christians, so just let me say this perfectly clear. For Christians, a lot of things matter. And here at Woodburn Baptist Church, a lot of things matter to us. Obviously, church attendance matters to us, and and tithing matters to us, and raising our kids, and and, and learning how to do missions, and, and planting churches. All of these things matter to us. But understand, love matters most. Love matters most. Whatever else we do, if we do not have love in our hearts, we are nothing. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says? It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter what you accumulate in this life. If you have a heart that doesn't love, you're nothing. Nothing. Love matters most. And of all the things that God put us here on earth to do, this sort of boiled it down to one simple commandment. You love God and you love your neighbor. You love. Love matters most. So for the next four weeks or so, I would just love to call us back to Scripture, call us back to Jesus. And let's remember and and relearn what it means to love from He who is love in the flesh. Start in Mark chapter 2. This may seem like a strange place to begin, but honestly, if you want to talk about the love of Jesus, you almost have to start where Jesus starts, and that is at the table Mark chapter two. Come to the table with Jesus and watch what happens. This is amazing. Mark chapter two. I'm going to start at verse thirteen. Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. That's the calling of the uh, disciple Matthew right there. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Okay, this next sentence is amazing. You ready for it? He invited uh, Jesus as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Okay, let that sink in. Disreputable sinners, there were a lot of those that followed Jesus. and that's just amazing? Stop. That's amazing. Sinners loved Jesus. They loved him. They followed him. Lots of disreputable sinners followed him. I mean, that's what the scripture stops to let you know. Verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. If you want to understand Jesus' love, you sort of have to come to the table. Which is typically where they found Jesus. He was our kind of guy. He was probably Baptist. This is how we know Uh, If you read through the Gospels and just pay attention, if you just pay attention to the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, for example, Jesus is nearly always either getting up from or sitting down at a table. He eats his way through the Gospels. Y'all love him. You would love him. He just eats his way through the Gospels, always sitting down at a table or getting up from a table, sometimes at a table teaching. Lots of things happen in Jesus's ministry at the table because Jesus spent a lot of time at the table. Now, there's a saying. I didn't say this. It was actually another New Testament scholar. Lots of people quote this, though. I just want you to Consider this statement and try to figure out what it means. Jesus was killed because of the way he ate. This is an oft-repeated New Testament scholar's principle. Jesus was killed because of the way he ate. What does that even mean? Jesus was killed because of the Jews. You know, Jesus was killed because of his enemies. Jesus was killed because he died for our sins. But this scholar says, well, you need to understand that in at least in part, Jesus was killed because of the way he ate. Well, what are we talking about? Because of the way he ate. There were lots of reasons for people to get on the wrong side with Jesus. If you're reading Mark chapter two in the, in the episode right before this table story, you find you know, the whole place where Jesus heals a, a lame man and at the same time he forgives his sins. And when Jesus exercises this freedom and authority to forgive sins, these same Pharisees, they lose their minds. So it's not just about what Jesus does at the table. It's not just about the way he eats. There are other reasons why the religious people began to hate Jesus, and and they do. But at least in part, it has something to do with Jesus at the table. What is it about Jesus at the table? Is it bad manners? Did he chew with his mouth open? Did he, you know, what in the world could turn people against a man at the table? Well, understand, it's not so much the way he ate. But it's who Jesus ate with. It's who he ate with. Eating is a strange thing for human beings. Uh, It's interesting because we eat to live. We we literally need nourishment. We need nutrition. We eat because we're hungry. We eat because it's a basic bodily function. We have to eat. But at the same time for us, and this is strange... Eating is somehow always entwined with, with social interaction. We, we eat together, and eating with people is important, and eating with people is always sort of loaded up with meaning. It says something about who you are and who you are in relation to other people, eating with people. And if you don't believe me, let's just go back in your minds to the everyday social war game that took place in every single school cafeteria from kindergarten to college. Y'all know what I'm talking about? What happens in a school cafeteria? And the interesting thing is nobody has to teach children this. Nobody sits down on day one and you have an orientation to the cafeteria and you say, okay, everybody, this table right here, this is where we want all the nerds to sit. Keeping all the nerds together. So all you Star Wars people right here, keeping you right here on on, on this you know, galaxy far, far away. We're going to put you right here. And then this table here, this is for the band geeks, all you music people want to pop, 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 y'all just put right here at this table to yourselves with your saxophones. Over here's the chess club. Y'all just go over and geek out to, to one another. And then we're going to put the cheerleaders here, up you know, at the table where everybody can see you. And over here, we're going to put all the football players and the baseball players. I mean, nobody has to do that, but it's automatic. It's just automatic and it's brutal it's brutal do you remember those days in the school cafeteria do you remember that fear sometimes that you're going to get out there and the table where you want to sit will be full and then you're going to be lost having to find another seat because honestly if you lose your seat at the table that may say something about your friendships it may say something about who's in and who's out and you may have just found out you're out I mean, once you lose your place at the table, how do you get that place back? I mean, it's an incredible political social war game, and it means something As We laugh about it, but I'm telling you, this is real life. And, and, and for a lot of kids, it's absolute torture. It's brutal, but it's about eating together. It's just about eating together. It's not just kids, though. We don't lay those political, social war games aside. We continue as adults to play the same sorts of games, even in church, even in church, sometimes especially in church. But it all comes out when you get around the table, when it, when, when it comes down to who you eat with, who you don't eat with. It says everything about who's in, who's out, how you see yourself, how you see other people. Eating together is an amazing thing because eating together is an act of love. It's an act of love. When you want to date somebody, what do you do? You invite them out, as Buddy the Elf would say, to eat food. And to go out and eat food. Yeah, eating together is an act of love. And that's always been the case, and that was especially the case back in Jesus' day. The Pharisees understood exactly what Jesus was doing. When it turns out, Jesus would eat with anybody and everybody. Jesus would eat with anybody and everybody. Matthew's the tax collector, it says there. Y'all know, you've probably understood because you've heard other preachers say it. I mean, tax collectors were hated. Everybody hated tax collectors. Tax collectors were considered greedy. Tax collectors were working for the government and the Jewish people hated the Roman government. The Roman government were sort of occupiers. They'd taken over the country by force. Roman soldiers on every corner, they despised Rome. And so, uh, Levi, Matthew would have been a, a Jewish man, perhaps, working for the Roman government. Just despise him for that, hate him for that. He's probably a wealthy man, but all of the money he makes is off the backs of his countrymen. Everybody hates tax collectors. Tax collectors are lumped right in there with all the other sinners. All the worst kind of sinners you can imagine, drunkards, prostitutes. I mean, it's that group. And these are the people that the Pharisees want nothing to do with. They want to make it perfectly clear that they are different from, separated from, and better than all of those other people. And they expect Jesus to play the same game. If Jesus is going to be some sort of rabbi, some sort of teacher of the law, if Jesus is any kind of holy man, then he needs to understand how holiness works. Holiness doesn't mix around with filth. Holiness is is cleanliness. Holiness is is, is separation. And therefore, you separate your holy self from filthy people like tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. By the way, a lot of those people follow Jesus, the scripture says. When it comes to Jesus and it comes to Jesus' table, there are no outcasts. There are no rejects. There is nobody who doesn't belong. Jesus only sees one kind of person, a loved one. Every single person to Jesus is the same kind of person, a loved one. Jesus loves everyone. The Pharisees have other categories, obviously. They see lots of different kinds of people. And you notice here, the word they use to describe Jesus' eating company, scum. Why do you eat with scum? I mean, certain sorts of people literally disgust the Pharisees. They're disgusted by these people and they don't even try to hide their disdain. They see no contradiction between the God they claim to serve and their absolute disgust at people that God loves. They see no contradiction whatsoever. Why would Jesus eat with such scum? They say. Jesus it says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call, not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. If, if we're going to learn to love like Jesus, we have to learn how to see people. You have to see people. The Pharisees look at certain people and they see scum. And honestly, though some of us would never use the word scum, you know that's in your heart. There's certain kind of people that disgust you, certain kind of people that you just think aren't clean. Now, you're not like in first grade when you would run around and you would say that, you know, Patty has cooties. You know, do you remember that? Because kids play the games, cooties. But you remember as a kid, cooties, they weren't really a real thing, but you kind of thought they were. Because the kids who had cooties, you really sort of thought of them as kids that you kind of didn't want to touch. Maybe the kids that smelled different, they smelled funny. I mean, this is real life, y'all. Do you remember? As a kid, you're still just sort of learning who's family, who's not family, and it's sort of a, a part of normal development. You're learning who are the strangers and who are those that are that are like me. It's, it's a part of your brain's development, and it's at a part of that, we sort of get twisted and we begin to think of certain people as, as, as sort of having cooties. But even as adults, you still think like that. There are lots of you in this room and in the sound of my voice, you still, now you don't run around with a cootie catcher. I I know you've grown past some of that, but still you're like this. Some of you now, you're not really, it's not about cooties. It's just about germs. You're germaphobe. But the funny thing is the only people who might have germs are certain people that to you just don't look clean enough for you. I mean, let's bring out a home to our next potluck. Some of you all at a potluck, you won't eat out of the bowl of somebody you don't know. What's that even about? We're all opening the same box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. What in the world could happen at my house? You know what I'm saying? What's that about you? You understand? Have you ever just stopped to understand and analyze why is it that you really honestly don't always look at people and, and, and see them as people like you? Because that's the key. I mean, to love people, you have to see them as people. Same as you. It doesn't matter if they don't speak your language. It doesn't matter at all. That doesn't make them less than you. It doesn't make them any different. No, they're still people, people just like you. It doesn't really matter what they smell like, it doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter if they grew up in Portland, it doesn't matter. People same as you. People, you've just got to learn to see people as people. Well, Brother Tim, what else would they be? Well, it, it maybe not, you might see them as people, but it's the people same as you that, that that becomes important. You don't see them same as you. You see them as people less than you, less than you. You're kind of white trashy kind of people, trailer park kind of people that you just don't associate with or rich people just don't like rich people. You know, you just don't see them as, as same as you, but you. You find ways to think of them as being different from you. They don't speak your language or or those kind of people. I never get along with those kind of people, those country club kind of people. Me and country club people don't get along. I need, you know, just, you know, plain old good people, rodeo people. What do you mean rodeo people? What do you mean country club people? What do you mean white people? What are you talking about? And why in the world do we have so many ways of categorizing people? It's just people. Remember, Jesus looked at all people and just saw one kind of people, people he loved. And if you're going to be like Jesus, you got to learn to see one kind of people, people you love, not people better than you, not people less than you, not people as objects of your lust or objects that you can use to get ahead at work, not just people that can serve you, that can do what you need them to do, not just people who can help you make money, not just people who can maybe be a part of your marketing scheme and sell under you. you got to learn to see people as people, same as you. See, it takes me back to Suicide Forest with Logan Paul. When he saw the dead body of a Japanese man hanging from the tree, he didn't see a person. He saw an object. He saw he saw something that might be a first on YouTube. He could be the first person to show a suicide victim on his on, on his video channel, and he saw that as an opportunity. He saw the man as an opportunity to somehow become more famous to get more likes, more follows on YouTube. It's the most shallow, most perverted. It's the sickest thing in the world that he couldn't see that man as a man. He zoomed his camera in on the hands so you could see that the dead man's hands were blue. He zooms the camera in on his blue hands, but he never manages to look at his face and see somebody who's probably somebody's son. A mama who may not even know that her son is dead, but now he's on YouTube. He has no comprehension that that is a man, same as he is. Worthy of dignity, worthy of respect, worthy of pity. Worthy of nothing for him, but zoom in the camera and see how this helps me on my YouTube channel. Do you understand the perversion? Do you understand the incredible sickness of a man who looks at another man and only sees an opportunity for himself? Because here's the secret, in order to love people, you have to see people as people, and your first thought must be love. First thought must be love. Your first thought can't be, I don't think he speaks my language, I wonder when he got off the boat, I wonder if he's one of those chain immigrants. No, no, there's something wrong with your heart if your first thought is anything but love. I can tell by the way he's, I don't think, I don't think that lady has seen a rag and a bar of soap in six months. Is that your first thought? Oh my goodness. She just coughed in her hand. Oh, she don't want to touch me, man. I am not telling what. She probably got tetanus, probably got some kind of flu. I ain't touching her. Is that how your brain works? People are contaminants. Is that really how your mind works? Man, I don't know who she, I don't even know who her mama is. I'm, gonna walk, you know, I'm not going to associate with her. Who in the world are they letting in this church? We don't know who those people are. The people used, used to live in Woodburn, and now we don't know who these people are. The church. We don't even know who these people are. The first thought must be love. Your first thought is love. Not who are they, not how can they help me, what language do they speak, where do they come from, where do they live, why do they smell like they smell, my goodness, why is her hair blue, well, what else is he going to pierce now? First thought, love. First thought, love. It's hard, isn't it? So, why does Jesus eat with such scum, the Pharisees want to know? It's a religious question for them, because for them, it was religion to to stay clean, to stay pure. And they considered other people unclean and impure. Therefore, you don't associate, you don't want any of their filth on you. Get your filthy hands off of me, they would say. Why is he eating with that scum? That's well, what Jesus says. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call those who think they are, not, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. key word there, I think, is need. When Jesus heard them, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. It's need. Jesus related to people in terms of their need, every single person in terms of their need. Now, why is Jesus' heart like that? Why does he think like that? Jesus thinks like that because he came into the world with one single purpose, and that was What? To give himself away. I mean, when Jesus answers our question, why are you eating with these people? Why do you eat with these people? Jesus's answer is in terms of his purpose. The answer he gives is not so much in relation to the rules that the Pharisees enjoy, that the whole social structure that they get to govern and they get to be on the top of it. No, Jesus doesn't answer in terms of any of that social war game. Jesus's answer is completely in terms of his own purpose. I didn't come. They didn't come for people who don't think they need me. I came for sinners who know they're sinners. I've come for the sick people who know that they need a doctor. Jesus sees people in terms of need because Jesus has one purpose and that is to come to give his life away. Now, this is how this works. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you're going to have to let Jesus give you something of his heart. You're going to learn to have the mind of Christ, as Paul says, which means you're going to think more like Jesus. You're going to begin to feel more like Jesus. You're going to have the same purpose in life that Jesus had in his life. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I've come to serve. I've come to give my life away. So interestingly enough, if you have come to give your life away, then every single person that you meet who has a need becomes a a reason for you to live. You understand? Jesus identifies to people in terms of their need because he has absolutely come to meet their needs. I I would say it this way. If you live to give yourself away, then every person you see is an opportunity to fulfill your reason for being. If you live to serve then everybody you meet is an opportunity to come alive and fulfill your purpose. If you're following Jesus and your desire is to love your neighbor more than you love yourself, then everybody you meet is one more chance to learn love better. To learn how to put other people first. To learn how to see their needs and forget about yourself. Every person you meet is an opportunity to become more like Christ. To follow Christ. To give yourself away in the same way that Christ gave himself away. Every person you see is an opportunity for you to fulfill your reason for being. Everybody. Because your reason for being, your reason for living here, your whole purpose in following Christ is to learn how to love people, love everyone. You've got to learn to love everyone, and your first thought must be love. Turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, I wrap up with this verse. In the passage, Revelation chapter three, Jesus is talking to the church. But we often use it as a soul-winning passage. This is how Jesus speaks to sinners, and it is, it works. Look at this though. I think the old King James Version uses the word sup, not like sup, you know, but you know, sup, but no, uh, sup to, to have supper. This is New Living Translation, which I use all the time. Listen to what this says. Revelation chapter 3, verse 29. This verse is verses for you. Look, Jesus speaking. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And what's it say? We will share a meal together as friends. So, you get it? If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, lets me come in, we're going to share a meal together as friends. So honestly, even in Scripture, our salvation in Revelation chapter 3.20, what Christ wants from our lives can be explained, can be described in terms of eating together. What Jesus wants with you, the life he wants to share with you, he can describe in terms of, just I'm going to knock on the door of your heart, and if you'll ever just open the door and let me come in, we're going to eat together like friends. We'll sit down at the table together. I want to include you in my life. I want to include you in my family, Jesus. I want us to eat together. So they say that Jesus was killed because of the way he ate not so much the way he ate but the fact that he would eat with anybody and everybody because people understood that eating together is an act of love for Jesus eating together was an act of love he would sit down at the table with anybody and everybody so if you look closely at the gospels you'll soon learn that Jesus was killed at least in part because of the way he ate he he died In order to include people, to sit at the table with anybody and everybody that. He died for that. And by his death, he saves us. He saves us. So, this way of love that you see in Jesus, it it can get you killed. It's also what gets you saved. At the table, Jesus found a way to make enemies so, so great that they would kill him. But at the table, Jesus also shows us what love does. You've got to see people as people. Your first thought must be love. Pray with me. Oh, Jesus, we're just not very good at seeing people as people. We're not very good at seeing them as people just like us. We see skin color. We hear language. We smell odors. We think about germs. We wonder where they've come from. We wonder how they live. We wonder why they live the way they live. We We wonder if they would hurt us. We wonder what they think about us. We sometimes we want to move against them before they can make a move against us sometimes we see them as an opportunity to make money sometimes we see them Lord as an opportunity to get ourselves ahead to make ourselves look better sometimes we want to be seen with certain people just so we'll be thought of in a certain way by other people Lord we play this immense complicated social game but Lord in the midst of it we fail to see people as people And we fail to look people in the face and let our first thought be love. We always seem to think something else before love takes over. So, Lord Jesus, today we bring our hearts to you and ask you to let love take over. Let love take over us. Help us, Lord, to stop being so divisive. Help us, Lord, to stop being so judgmental, so unforgiving. Help us, Lord, to stop being so stingy with our love. Help us, Lord, to stop being so picky about who we eat with, who we touch, who we call a friend, who we smile at, who we include in our lives, Lord. We bring you our hearts today, Lord Jesus, and we ask you, let love take them over. Help us to love like you, to see people like you see people, to give ourselves away to people. Teach us, Lord, that of all the things in life that matter, nothing matters as much as love. Let love take over in this place right now, even as we sing, even as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.